Hi, I'm Rahat. Hi, I'm Hassan. And you're listening to Tech for Humans. Welcome to a new episode of Tech for Humans. My name is Rahat, and on today's episode, we have Lee Warwick with us. Lee, can you take a second and introduce yourself to everyone? Sure. I'm a full-stack JavaScript developer, um, primarily working with front-end technology. Uh, I've got experience in React, Node, Vue, all that good stuff. Uh, before I was a developer, I worked in the healthcare field. I was a firefighter and a paramedic. And after that, a registered nurse uh, working in ICU, ER, uh, recovery, surgical, a whole bunch of different areas. So, um, yeah, that's that's the short version. How'd you go from like firefighter to nurse to dev? Like, what was what was that kind of progression like? So, um, long story short, uh, I went to college originally to pursue a career in uh, computer science. Like, I wanted to make you know video games as a uh, as a kid, and always loved computers. So. Um, that's what I started out trying to do and, um, getting into college, you quickly find out that the reality of that is a little bit different than maybe what you think, uh, in your mind. So they started me out with like binary and hexadecimal and all that stuff. I hated it. Uh, I was learning Java. Um, my teacher wasn't really engaged. I wasn't really into it. So I quit that, got into Japanese language, got my degree in that. It's actually up there on the wall, <laughs> but, uh, went to Japan for a year. Um, kind of went down that path and then realized I didn't want to live abroad. So I wanted to come back home to America and being in Florida, there's not a whole lot of Japanese speakers. So, uh, getting into firefighting was kind of the fallback plan. So that's, uh, what I did. I signed up for fire school, went through that, did EMT school, paramedic school, um, got hired and kind of started down that path of healthcare. Um, but those professions, I guess we'll get into in a little bit are, uh, dangerous low paid, long hours, um, very stressful. Uh, they, they take a very heavy toll on, uh, the people in those industries. And so, um, I eventually got out of that, uh, because boot camps had become a thing by that point. And so I signed up for a coding boot camp. kind of had always looked back at my previous, you know, hopes and dreams of, of working in software and, you know, worked really hard in that. I uh, went through the boot camp, did well, and then got a job and it, been kind of living that life ever since. Um, so yeah, that's wonderful. You know, you mentioned that your fallback plan was to become a firefighter. Like, what made that your fallback plan amongst all? Yeah, I should have mentioned that. Uh, my dad was a firefighter uh, for thirty years, so he worked for uh, wow. Miami Dade County here in Florida. And my sister's husband, so my brother-in-law, he is also a firefighter. And then my best friend's dad was a firefighter. So there was this big family of um of people that were in that field already and so i'd always look at it like well that's a stable job you know great pension um you don't really need an advanced degree or anything you just got to go through the training to do it so um when i had kind of run out of ideas i guess at some point i kind of got it in my head that i would like to do some of the medical aspects of it uh not necessarily the uh the firefighting bit and so I just kind of moved in that direction and went through with it. So you've got this experience with being an ICU nurse, being a firefighter, and now you're a dev. Um, do you have any suggestions on what people can do to like, or like things people can do like right now in our, the current state of affairs with uh, the whole coronavirus COVID thing going on? 
Yeah, so the uh, the whole coronavirus thing is a um, a pretty interesting uh, development. Um, I can tell you that as like an ICU nurse, uh, we would have in the hospital flu season. So that would be our, our busy season, similar to how you might, if you worked in a restaurant or something, you you would know just the industry experiences season, right? So like all these uh, people coming to the restaurant all of a sudden, you've got like a booming business uh, for however many months and then out of season things slow down to a point where you're kind of like rolling back your staffing and you know, you're not working overtime, stuff like that. The same thing happens in the hospital. So during flu season, uh, the hospital is like slammed full of people. Um, especially, uh, it's really widespread throughout the country, but particularly here in Florida, we've got like a large retirement population. And when those people get sick, uh, you're elderly, you don't have the same immune system or capability to fight off illness. Uh, it really could be anything, um, flu, cold, whatever. Um, whenever you experience an illness like that, it just takes a lot more out of you. So you may end up with you know, acute respiratory distress. You may end up in the hospital, you can't breathe. Um, maybe your congestion is you know, to a point where you can't handle it because you're already kind of compromised. Maybe you smoked or maybe you have a bad heart or bad lungs already. And so you end up in the hospital on a ventilator or something, and then I would be taking care of you in the ICU. Um, and so the same thing in, in that unit, we would have lots of people on ventilators during season. And then out of season, it would be like, you know, we've only got a couple patients and we're floating to other areas to, you know, pick up um, more or less acute patients, uh, people that aren't as sick. So um, with coronavirus, the thing is that, um, there's kind of this controversy out there of like, well, is it deadly or is it not deadly? And it is deadly, but if you look at the numbers, it's like, oh, well, if you're between the ages of 18 and 44, and I'm, I'm kind of pulling this out of my butt, but uh, there's like a 1% chance or something that you'll die from infection. But as you get older, those numbers go up and up and up. So if you're over uh, 85, you know, you have like a 27% mortality rate or something. Um, and even to some people, they're like, well, 27%, that's pretty low. But the thing is, is whenever you get sick and you're older, um, you're going to probably end up in the hospital and you're going to be taking up those resources. And it's a huge strain on our system. So um, it's an interesting problem. People kind of look at it as, well, it's not that big a deal. I'll probably be fine. It's just like the flu or whatever. But on the other hand, it's incredibly taxing for our healthcare system. And it is many magnitudes more deadly for people that are elderly, immunocompromised, um, or have other comorbidities where getting sick will impact them much more greatly than the normal average person. You know, it, it kind of lines up with something like earlier today, um, the New York State governor had a press conference and you're just talking about how fast um, the cases are coming up and to the point where I think the cases will be like three times the amount of ventilators we have for New York State, um, and they're running out of resources. And then I saw a post on Reddit about how in Italy there was a company that 3D printed ventilators, and each ventilator was like $1 in material. And this other company that actually makes the ventilators was planning on suing them because their ventilators cost $11,000 for one. Um, and it's just crazy how all of this shady, like, medical companies and their practices are coming out because of COVID-19. And it's kind of sad that we had to 
get a global pandemic for this to come out. Um, but I'm glad that it's actually coming out like, hey, like you don't need $11,000 for a ventilator. You can be done in a dollar. So, yeah, I read that article and um, a couple of a couple of points on that. Uh, being somebody that worked in healthcare for a long time, um, I've kind of known how not scummy, but scummy our healthcare system can be. Uh, there's a lot of profit that drives those gears and makes everything um, function. So you know, hospitals are set up to turn a profit because they, they have to bank money in order to exist. Um, whereas other countries, you know, they have socialized medicine. So they've, you know, the government has stepped in and said, doctors will get paid this much, healthcare will cost this much, so on and so forth. Whereas here in America, that's not really the case. So um, that was a, a big source of my strife and kind of burnout whenever I worked uh, as a healthcare provider like having to, for instance, type a lot of things in the computer, not so that we can record information about the patient, but so that we can more effectively bill the patient or bill their insurance. Um, so things like that really grind against, you know, a lot of the motives that somebody would have for becoming a healthcare provider. Um, but in the case of what you're talking about, uh, the ventilators, so a ventilator itself is like a giant machine that breathes for a person. So it's like, it's got pneumatics and machinery and uh, electronics inside of it to automate breathing. So you give it settings and say like, we're gonna ventilate this person with so many cc's of air at so much pressure at, at such a, a rate. Um, and it, you can't really 3D print one of those, it's like a huge machine. Um, the piece that you're talking about is like maybe this big, uh, maybe three or four inches, and it's an attachment for one of the hoses uh, like goes in line with the ventilator. At least I'm, I'm guessing from the article that I was looking at. And that was being used to deliver some kind of supportive treatment. Um, so it was like a, a throwaway piece that you probably had to use like one per patient or one per uh, treatment or something for the ventilator. So for okay. the company to charge $11,000 for a piece of plastic is kind of what I'm getting at. Like there's no real reason for that. Um, Certainly, there's some standards and regulations that will drive up the cost of components, kind of like if you own a boat. Like, I know we probably don't because we're all developers, but uh, if you, as soon as you say something's nautical, <laughs> like it's going to cost three or four times more just because it has to be certified and it's got to be waterproof and all this other junk or food grade or something like that. Uh, whenever you say something is a medical device and it can be used to treat somebody, it's the same kind of thing. It has to pass certain regulations and has to be looked at and double checked and triple checked and stuff. And that drives up the price, but does it drive it up $11,000? I don't really think so. Yeah. So um, it's kind of the same thing with the EpiPen controversy from uh, last year or the year before where, um, you know, this life-saving uh, medicine and device. Uh, so anaphylactic, anaphylactic shock. Um, you ever see somebody get stung by a bee in the movies or something and they're dead in a couple minutes, they swell all up and their air pipe closes. That's a real thing. And the treatment for that is epinephrine. So basically adrenaline to open up their air passages. And that device historically has been pretty dang cheap because epinephrine has been around for many years and it's a generic medication. It's very, very cost effective to produce that. There's no like patents on it anymore. But the device itself to deliver that is like a self-contained syringe with a needle on the end that you can just kind of press against your leg and it will auto-inject. And so this company that produced them, um, 
decided to charge $400 or something for an EpiPen uh, because they could, because nobody else was producing them. And so that came out in the news like, hey, what's this guy doing? I think his name was Martin Shkreli or Shkreli or something like that. Yeah. Uh, if you guys remember that, right. um, there was this huge controversy like, why are you doing that? Well, the thing is, there's tons of companies doing that. So like diabetic people, um, insulin, for instance, insulin can be produced incredibly cheap because it's been around forever. It's a generic drug. However, you'll see um, drug companies and, and hospitals are prescribing like uh, brand name insulin that costs hundreds of dollars a vial. And they're, they're only charging that because they can and because, you know, that they can make a ton of money off of that. So um, this isn't really news to me seeing this kind of stuff, um, but I am glad that, you know, if there is any silver lining to this pandemic nonsense, it's that we're exposing some of these like shady, crappy things that are happening out there in the healthcare field. Uh, you mentioned the uh, insulin pumps. I know Rahat brought this up. I think you talked to them before about people like hacking the insulin pumps um, to just like reduce cost. Um, I did some research and I was saying like one of the people that started this, they saved like $800 just by not needing to upgrade their pump because they're able to hack their pump and just give it new features. Um, do you have any more insight on so that? So I can, can't really speak specifically to that because I haven't dug too deep into that device. Um, I can tell you that an insulin pump is like a, a beeper, if you're old enough to remember a beeper, like a, a beeper-sized device that uh, you guys are laughing, so I take it you're that old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It hangs, yeah, yeah it hangs out on your belt. Um, it's actually attached to some intravenous lines uh, that plug into you and pump the drug insulin into you at a controlled rate. So as like a ICU nurse, maybe we would hang a, a bag of insulin and have it on an IV pump. This is like a tiny system that does that for a person. So these devices are pretty cool. Um, they re remove the need for you to like constantly stab your finger and inject insulin manually uh, if you're a diabetic, which is something that you know your pancreas does automatically. But as a diabetic, you lose that ability. So you got to do that yourself with medicine. And um, if your diabetes progresses to a point where you need that, uh, an insulin pump can be pretty dang helpful because it's automated. It does it for you. It checks your blood sugar, gives you insulin, kind of regulates things uh, automatically. So I think Medline um, and probably some other companies develop, you know, these pumps. Um, but there was a, a developer, Sarah Withy, I believe. Uh, she ended up writing some software to modify hers, and I didn't really dig into that. Um, you guys should actually interview her because I think that would be a pretty cool uh, episode. Um, Definitely would. But another uh, <laughs> another topic around that that I heard was. Um, DEFCON, if you guys are familiar, is a big cybersecurity conference. Somebody at DEFCON one time mm -hmm. presented um, how you could access uh, those insulin pumps over like an open network connection. So um, they were on some kind of frequency that he was able to access, and he could control remotely insulin pumps within a certain radius around his computer uh, and set different levels for you know medication. And there's really no excuse for that. Um, the company should have, you know, measures in place to lock that down to have some kind of security. I'm sure that they have that port open for, um, like, if you go to your doctor's office and you need them to set your your pump or something or, or get readings off of it or whatever. But, you know, it's an unsecured uh, connection, and so anybody can access it, which is crap. So um, 
there there's just a lot of like the opposite of innovation in the medical field. It's just they they do stuff and it's kind of whatever um, as far as like the technical aspect of it. Um, I can tell you that as a nurse, like I used to chart uh, on a computer that was running a DOS program for um, the the patient vitals and when we gave the medicine and stuff like that. And that's in the year, you know, 2015, 2016. So like one, and I worked for the one of, if not the biggest hospital corporation in the world. And I'm at this hospital using this program that's written in MS-DOS. So I'm like having to like use F keys and stuff to chart. Uh, that's BS. I don't know if we can cuss on here. I'd, I'd be cussing about this, but uh, I'm, I don't agree with that. Like you've got the resources. You make millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. Um, I've seen them remodel that hospital like eight times since I've worked there. And that's only been a, a couple of years ago. And you're telling me that you can't develop a software program that's basically a CRUD app to, you know, record information about patients. Uh, that doesn't really track with me. You know, you can hire a couple of developers to do a better system than that, but they just haven't, they don't care. So there's no drive for them to do that. Um, and it just, it's another thing, kind of like this layer cake of disappointment I have with the, the healthcare industry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's just a lot of room for, for innovation and improvement in, in some of those systems. Um, I can tell you in Orlando, for instance, uh, we've got a company called PowerDMS and their whole startup idea is around um, like documentation and document management for um, first responders. So like as a firefighter, we would have to do pre-planning where we would go into a building and kind of map out the layout of the building and like where the exits are, where the fire extinguishers are, where people usually work at, stuff like that. So that when we go on a fire and it's filled with smoke, we kind of know where everything is. And, you know, in this modern era, you know, we had a computer, which was great, but we were doing this stuff on like MS Word or something or drawing in like MS Paint you know, how these buildings were laid out. Uh, and it was over, um, I think the, the documents may have even been saved to the local drive and not even on the network. So, you know, PowerDMS, their whole thing is they're going to take that over for you and distribute all those pre-plans and stuff to every device. So like they give you an interface to draw it, they save it for you. You can access it when you're on your way to the call very quickly. Um, there's just, and it's a simple CRUD app, but that is an amazing improvement to what some of these agencies are working with. So um, there's just so much room for innovation in the healthcare space um, that you know things could work a lot better and a lot more smoothly than they currently do. Yeah, I'm wondering like you mentioned before, like ever things that go into like. Um, healthcare or whatever have to be like checked and regulated and all that. Um, is that probably like a barrier for like a lot of these startups or people who just have these ideas to get in? Yeah. I imagine that um, there's definitely some red tape because you've got federal regulations like HIPAA that says, you know, if you ever release patient information inadvertently, it's a big deal. You're going to get, you know, federal fines and, and worse. So, uh, I think that there is some maybe fear or anxiety around that. Like, well, we don't really want to get into healthcare because, you know, we're dealing with, you know, liability for if our things break down, then 
uh, we could get sued or we could potentially get breached, you know, and have a, a security problem where we get sued. Um, but at the same time, you've got like financial institutions that they're able to iterate on, you know, mobile devices and create apps and stuff for little banks and, and whatnot. There, there's a lot of innovation in financial technology. How come that isn't ha happening in healthcare? Um, there's a lot of money in that space where you can do the things appropriately, do them right. And there's certainly big companies that make uh, medical devices and have those contracts already and, and already are apprised of like HIPAA and, and all those things. And it's just kind of frustrating to see that they're not making bigger strides to, to make improvements. Yeah. Um, there's definitely like a lot of, especially now uh, with the coronavirus stuff, uh, coming out a lot of uh, open source projects uh, people are trying to do. Um, you, you had sent me one, I think, from R Ryan Florence, um, the whole social distance thing and exponential growth. I think like even just stuff like that, you know, that um, stuff that doesn't necessarily need to go directly into the healthcare field, um, but can kind of stay kind of on the outside of it can probably be helpful. Um, I think we did probably definitely need to see more of projects like that that could sort of like kind of come from the outside and slowly go in from there. Yeah, I think there's um, there's a lot of room for opportunity uh, in that that kind of area that you're talking about. So that app that you mentioned that Ryan Florence built was kind of an educative educational thing where uh, you would click on there and put in like the ages of members in your household, and it would give you a button to click. And it would kind of roll the dice on whether or not one of your family members or you would die from coronavirus if you caught it. And so um, he would then go from the next screen and like show you, okay, if you uh, contract the disease, here's how many people you're going to infect. And then like, here's the odds that they die. So it kind of shows you the ramifications of what happens if you ignore the social distancing or decide not to stay at home and go out and party or whatever. So um, that's like a neat, you know, app that he made that probably took him like an hour or two, uh, does a little bit of JavaScript, but the benefit of that and kind of the education that people can get from that is huge, right? For the, the rate of return on that is, is pretty massive. And I think that, you know, in the areas around healthcare, even for people that like us that aren't in healthcare, there's a lot of stuff that we can do. So uh, I was thinking, you know, at least as far as education, like if you're a nurse, you've got to know um, a whole lot of different aspects of, of healthcare, like uh, vital signs, labs, um, being able to read EKGs, all, all kinds of stuff. So the training for that is like, I've got a bookshelf over here that's it's full of books like that. You just flip through the book and read them and it's kind of crappy. So what if you had an app where it could show you like, you know, vital signs and ask you, is this good or bad? Is this high or low? Um, is this patient, if they have these vital signs in danger or are they okay? Um, stuff like that would be easy to build, you know, a little random number generator that has some, you know, some specification built into it. And so in that direction, I think there's a lot of opportunity for developers out there to create apps like that. Um, <clears throat> and I think they're kind of fun, not just for healthcare providers. Uh, certainly they would be really useful but also kind of fun for the public to mess around with. Like if you've ever been curious about, you know, 
blood chemistry or something like that. You could kind of go through and look at um, some of those values and maybe learn a little bit about, you know, healthcare. So I think apps like Ryan Florence's app, um, maybe like educational apps, stuff like that, little quiz games or stuff, it, it would be a huge improvement um, just from my own education when I was going through nursing school. Uh, having to use like a workbook, for instance, with printed EKGs, that's not super useful because whenever you get hooked up to a machine, it's going to show you like a graph in real time with the, the line going, you know. Um, it's not showing you a static image of an EKG. So being able to animate something in JavaScript, for instance, and kind of tweak in real time different parameters and like show a person what's a fast heart rate look like, what does a slow one look like, what does an irregular versus regular heart rate look like. That stuff I think would be super easy to make and also like really valuable for a lot of providers out there. Um, that's actually a very good point that there's so many educational stuff that exists for all these other fields. Surprising that you mentioned that almost nothing exists for the medical field. And it's one of the fields that requires the most training. Uh, you know, Rahad and I have a few friends from high school that just finished med school, right? Um, we know a few nurses that took years to get nursery. And it's just, it's baffling how some of the, one of the fields that has, requires the most education is a little outdated um, wherever there's so many tools that, is, that are out there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I have kind of been running that through my head for years. Like why, why is this stuff so old school? Like we've got, you know, literally the entire internet in our pockets and a, a mobile phone. Yet if you go from one hospital to another hospital, the second hospital is not going to get any of the information from the first one. So they're going to ask you over and over again, what medications do you take? What allergies do you have? Tell me about your medical history. Um, I, I had the misfortune of being in the hospital recently and, you know, there were like six different providers asking the exact same questions over and over again because there's no shared system for them, even within the same hospital to get notes to each other quickly. You know, they're taking paper notes and stuff. So, um, that then later has to be transferred into a computer. And then like, if you dig long enough, you might be able to find it as another provider, but most of them just do their own assessment and over and over again, you know, like pester the patient with the same questions. And so it's just kind of baffling, you know, to, to be a developer and then also have worked in that field and then go back to that field and kind of look at like, man, is this really what our country is running on? Like, these are the systems that are in place for, like, life-saving care. Uh, it, it can be a little scary at times. Yeah, when you said that, I remembered. I So I've, like, recently been using ZocDoc to, like, book all my, any of my doctors, things like that. And in ZocDoc, they kind of, like, give you a form to fill out and ask you all those, like, questions. Like, you know, do you have any pre-existing conditions or uh, do you take meds or whatever? And then, so I filled that out. I went to the doctor's office and they asked again. It was like, but I filled this out. Shouldn't you have this in the form that I sent? And like, even when they have the technology, they still have to, for whatever reason, have you fill out a paper form and then they just put it in the computer again anyway. So it's... Yeah, it's kind of strange when you think about it. Um, I almost think there should be some kind of universal uh, system where you know, if you're an American citizen, you can have some kind of 
record that belongs to you, kind of like a social security number that has your medical information attached to it. And whenever you go to a hospital, you give them your social or whatever, and they look that up and it's like, boom, this person's been diagnosed with this, this, and this. Uh, they have these allergies, whatever. Um, some people might be a little freaked out by that. They're like, oh, I don't want the government to know about what kind of medical conditions I have or whatever. I mean, but, we credit reports we can have. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> there's really no hiding some of that stuff sometimes. Um, like, we could certainly write some smart legislation that says this information is privileged and no other government systems can look at it or something. It's purely for healthcare. And then imagine, like, you go into the doctor's office and tap your phone on a uh, like a chip reader or something, and it's like, oh, yep, you're this person. Boom, they have your medical information. And then you type in your complaint, and you're done. Like, why do we have to do this information registry stuff over and over and over again, talk to all these providers and tell them the same story over and over and over again? There's kind of, it's just a lot of wasted time and productivity, right? Like, we could be delivering care a lot faster. And if you think about it in that direction, if you're delivering care faster, you're wasting less time, you're probably treating more patients, might be saving lives by doing something like improving uh, an information, you know, management system or a CRUD app, basically, you know, which is a problem that we solve over and over again as developers and have just constantly improved on and iterated on. So if you think about applying that to the healthcare field, you could probably save a lot of lives doing something stupid like making, taking somebody's information easier, but we just don't do it as a, as a society. So we just kind of let it go, you know, screw it. We'll just tell the doctor, tell the nurse, tell the CNA, uh, tell the next doctor all of this information over and over again. So it, it's a mess in my opinion. <laughs> I hate to be negative about it, but um, there's just, there's so much in that space that that needs work. And unfortunately, like this whole pandemic situation is just kind of bringing that ugly skeleton out of the closet and, and putting it on display for the, the whole country and the whole world. So I guess um, with some of that experience, you've been, um, you, you mentioned like that EKG thing um, of like creating like a JavaScript app for that. Um, I remember when we were talking about this, you also shared with me um, the Medlist app that you made um, at, for like your bootcamp um, with some of the stuff that, you know, that you went through at like, in the ER uh, as an ICU nurse, um, kind of like inspiration for that. So my idea was being a nurse, like in a, in a medic and all this stuff, it not only bothered me like from the patient's point of view, but like as a provider um, that for instance, if EMS brings in a patient, like we don't actually get any of the information that they take aside from what they tell us verbally. So why can't we have some kind of information sharing between the two? And so I thought, well, I can't really solve that as a developer outside of healthcare, but as somebody that is a patient advocate, I can give the patient something that can make transferring that information easier. So kind of like I was talking about having that centralized um, way of sharing information, like why not just give it as a third party to the patient? So like, here's an app that you can look up your medications, you can schedule them for yourself so you can have like a running list of how much you take and when you take it. And if you make it something that you can log into, like you can do that stuff on your computer and then pull up your phone and log in and then have all the same information. Uh, what I found a lot of times as a nurse and as a medic was patients would have their medications 
written down on like a post-it note on the fridge or something. And they come into the hospital and they're trying to like recite from memory, whatever they take. And if they're taking more than three or four medications, it ends up becoming kind of a crapshoot and they just guess, or you're looking at their chart from the last time they were in the hospital and going, do you still take this? Do you still take this? Do you still take this? And again, it's just kind of a lot of wasted time. So I made this app where you log in, add your medication, and then at the same time, it had a QR code that it would generate for you. And if you scan that code with your phone, most phones have like a camera app that will read a QR code. And if it's a link, take you to that website. So I made it where you can go to the link um, from that QR code and it would show you the patient's medications in a list with like the frequency and the amount of what they're taking without giving you like their name, birthday, or any identifying inf information. So you could print that QR code off, put it on a business card, make a sticker out of it, uh, or even from your phone access that, and it would show the image of the QR code. And you show that to the provider, they scan it with their phone, boom, they have all your medications uh, and all your allergies and stuff. So um, imagine how much time that saves from having to have this long drawn out discussion guessing game with the patient. Do you take metoprolol still? Do you still take an aspirin once a day? You know, that's 10 or 15 minutes that you're saving for each provider that you talk to that needs that information. Just here it is, scan it. And then they've got it instantly. Is this up to date? Yeah. So the whole app was kind of uh, in that direction. And again, it's just a crowd app, you know, it's up on Heroku, you know, it's free if you want to use it. Um, it doesn't, like it skates around HIPAA because it doesn't share any identifying information. Uh, when you scan that QR code, it just gives you the list of medications, the amount, and like when you take them. So um, things like that are, you know, low-hanging fruit, I guess, that are out there that, you know, as developers, we tend to make a lot of tooling for development. And I think that's because we're really familiar with the problems and the pain points of development. And so we're like always have a mind for making the developer experience better. But I think what's awesome about boot camps and career changers is that people like me are coming from under other industries and they're going, my former industry sucks. And here's all the things I could do to improve that as a developer, like writing a stupid, you know, 10 minute CRUD app or something. Um, so I really hope that we get more career changers uh, in the field and, and that they can kind of turn around and go like, man, we could make things a lot better for a lot of people if we make, you know, a silly app like this and, and it gets some traction. I feel like we can give people a chance to voice these problems that are existing in other uh, industries, like for example, my cohort, there are people that came from like the law background and they're like, you know, I wish a law firm had this when I was working there. Or some people came from like hospitality, like, oh, we wish we had this. So it's like all over the place. And I'm, and I'm you know, I'm glad boot camps are rising up and then like people are able to switch careers and become engineers and have that creative background um, and different um, ideas on how to solve solutions, how to solve problems, sorry. Yeah, definitely. There's, um, there's so much out there that, you know, you don't have to go out there and make like a food app or whatever. There's a lot of, if you sit down and, and kind of take a step back and think of all the experiences that you've had to deal with as a human, right? Um, education is kind of miserable. Uh, grocery shopping, for instance, like we see a lot of innovation in that space. All of a sudden you can go on a website and order your groceries 
and have them delivered to you or go to the you know the local store and just pick up a big box full of all that stuff so there's that that innovation is out there but we've just got to spread it to other industries and kind of you know instead of chasing the dollar right letting businesses and capitalism or whatever try and make more money off of technology we've got to push it you know, as developers towards improving the lives of, you know, our fellow citizens, friends, family, uh, coworkers, and kind of do some of that innovation ourselves and, and kind of push the envelope in that direction. And I, I think that, you know, if we can take a step back from our computers every once in a while and stop writing like the next JavaScript library or whatever, <laughs> maybe we could uh, make some, some more interesting applications to, to do stuff like that. So we usually like to wrap up uh, the episodes with like a catch-up session. Um, what are you doing, I guess, like outside of all of this craziness? And uh, yeah, how, you, how do you spend your time outside of work or anything you do here? Yeah, so um, you guys probably know that I, I do a podcast uh, called Tech Junior. So um, every Wednesday we try and release an episode. I say try, but we have for like the past year. We release an episode every Wednesday. Uh, some of them are just uh, Eddie and I talking. He's my co-host. Uh, some of them we interview um, industry professionals or like newcomers to the industry or just anybody in tech really that has a, an interesting viewpoint. So we've talked to Rahat previously um, about mental health and how that relates to technology. Um, we talked to a whole bunch of people, Travis Nielsen about design. We talked to Jason Langsdorf about, you know, getting hired and, and just kind of, if I remember, there was a lot of process talk in, in that one, but it's a pretty interesting podcast. I'd like to think um, as somebody that makes it. So if, if that sounds interesting, check that out at techjar.dev. Um, also, I run a meetup locally here in Orlando called Project Code Experience or Project Codex. So that's kind of been like a safe space for all these people that are entering the industry coming out of boot camps, coming out of computer science programs, you know, you, you jump into job boards and stuff and you start applying and you get a lot of pushback and a lot of negative feedback from people that are like, oh, you're a boot camp or whatever, get out of here. So I kind of wanted to make a group and a little community that is welcoming and supportive of people that are trying to be career changers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tech for Humans. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends. You can tweet us at techforhumans.io or listen to all of our episodes at techforhumans.io. That's tech, the number four humans.io. Episodes are available on all major podcast platforms.